All right, well, you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 985. And if you do not own a Bible, uh, these yellow colored Bibles are ours, our gift to you if you want to take one of those. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this afternoon and we are, we're just thankful. We stand in awe of who you are and what you've done for us to rescue us as we think back to the Passover and you passing over the sins of the people and, and seeing the blood of the Lamb. And, and as we look forward from that event to the cross and how you looked at your son and again, you passed over our sins. You rescued us and redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. We stand in awe of your plan, of your grace. We worship you. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. Encourage our hearts. Help us to know you, to love you, and to serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin by uh, apologizing and uh, clarifying something that I said last week. Um, I was talking about the word beloved and how it's translated in most English translations. And I made a comment that the commentators like kind of didn't get it right. Um, and I think that after I thought about it <laughs> later... That could come across like, oh, well, I know, you know, better than all of these scholars who have spent their whole lives studying the Greek language, and that, that was not at all um, my intention. So if that is how that came across, I apologize. Um, I, I love languages. Um, I love studying and finding cool things in languages. I remember the first time I came home from China, and uh, the word uh, for tomato in English, or the, the Chinese word for tomato is xi hong shi, and it's, it's like west red vegetable, and it's like this literal, you know, meaning of like what a tomato is, and I came home, and I was like telling my mom, like, isn't this so cool? Like, here's what, the, like, all these characters mean, and it's like, you know, just like this dumb example, but like, when I see those things, I get really excited. When I see something in the Greek that doesn't translate well into the English, like, that's exciting to me, and I want to help you guys see that. But it's also, you know, I think the danger in that, and I don't want you guys to feel like, oh, well, I can't understand the Bible unless I go and learn Greek. That's not at all, that's not my heart. Uh, my heart as a pastor, as a, as a preacher of God's word, I want, I want you guys to know God's word more. I want you guys to love God's word. And I don't want you to ever feel like, oh, it's this like mysterious puzzle that we can't unlock unless Pastor Josh explains it to us. That's not at all what my heart was. And maybe you guys are like, what? I didn't think that. But it could come across that way, and, and I don't want to do that. Um, so that's my heart, and just want to share that with you. So, um, Well, earlier this week, um, I was... Having, uh, I was thinking down the road about when Lily goes off, uh, when Lily moves out of the house, our, our oldest, 
when she moves away and, and goes off to college and kind of thinking about uh, what this is going to be like and uh, you know, getting a, a text from her like a week after she's been gone and I imagine her saying, hey dad, uh, things are going really well, you know, I, I moved into my new apartment and uh, Right after I got there, you know, the self-driving car pulled up with all my furniture, and I just walked out, and I swiped my card, and I get, grabbed all my furniture, and went up into my apartment, and set it all up, and then um, I, uh, you know, registered for all my classes, my online classes, and I already, you know, took a, a couple of my first exams, and, and did some things, and the, the uh, computer automated um, teacher's assistant already graded all my work, and sent it back to me, and uh, and then I got hungry, so I went to the grocery store. I went to the new Amazon Go grocery store, and I, I walked in, and I just swiped my phone, and I went and picked up all my groceries and walked out and, and went home. It's been such a great week. I haven't talked to anybody, and it's, been, it's just been so awesome. Well, that sounds ridiculous, but after reading an article this week about the new uh, Amazon Go store, and we had a discussion about this in our community group, um, there's, there's a store in Seattle where you can go in and you, you scan your phone and you just pick the stuff off the shelf and there's like cameras everywhere that, and it's not even, it's not facial recognition, it just recognizes like your body and clothes and whatever and you can grab all your stuff and, and you walk out and it knows like what you've bought and all this stuff. And I'm reading this article and the author is talking about his philosophical questions that he has and, and his philosophical questions were all... Um, like about privacy and facial recognition and how is this going to work. But I'm reading it and I'm saying my philosophical questions are, is that kind of anonymity what we really want in our lives? Is this kind of social isolation healthy for us as human beings? Is it healthy for us physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Reminded me of another article I read recently. This was uh, Christmas Eve in the New York Times, written by a doctor in New York City. The title of the article was, How Social Isolation is Killing Us. And he talks about his interaction with one of his patients with who was dying in the next day or two. And he's asking him, you know, do you want me to, to call somebody? Is there somebody you want to come? And he said, there's nobody. I don't have any family. I don't have any friends. He might have had a niece down south, but they hadn't spoken in years. And this is what the doctor said. He said, for me, the sadness of his death was surpassed only by the sadness of his solitude. I wondered whether his isolation was a driving force of his premature death, not just an unhappy circumstance. He goes on to explain how social isolation is a growing epidemic. Since the 80s, the numbers of American adults who say they're lonely has doubled from 20% to 40%. A third of Americans older than 65 now live alone in more numbers about increased risks of heart disease. And here's how he ends this article. He says, a great paradox of our hyper-connected digital age is that we seem to be drifting apart. Increasingly, however, research confirms our deepest intuition. Human connection lies at the heart of human well-being. It's up to all of us, doctors, patients, neighbors, and communities, to maintain bonds where they're fading and create ones where they haven't existed. I love what he says there. 
research confirms, as if we didn't already know this, right? Research confirms our deepest intuition. Human connection lies at the heart of human well-being. And then I would add to that, on the flip side, that sin seeks to isolate us from God and one another. Yesterday I was in Milwaukee uh, after the meeting, and I, I met with a friend and ended up going to, to Cousin Subs. And uh, I walk in, I, I ordered some food, and I was waiting, and I, I look up, and there's this huge picture on the wall of three people standing at the top of these stairs, and they had crates full of things that they were handing to each other and passing them down, and big words on the sign that said, committed to serving others. And I about fell over. I was like, what? Like, that's exactly what I'm preaching about tomorrow. Like, how cool is that? Called to serve God and others. That's what we're talking about here. Um, And I was like, that was such a cool picture. Um, So we've been talking about community. We've been talking about living in community. We've been talking about knowing God and others, right? That we're talking about the head. We're talking about loving God and others with our hearts. And we've talked about serving God and others with our hands. That's what we're talking about today. I would argue that God has created us to live in community with him and with one another where we serve him and we serve one another. That is how we are designed and created to live. And I think we saw that last week in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Paul reminded us that we were raised with Christ. We are to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are below. To put on, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. It's all about how we live in community with one another. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is a picture of of growing and living in community with one another. And we're going to wrap up here by looking at Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I would invite you to stand together as we read God's word. Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we have been going over our our vision statement, which you can find on the front of your worship guide there, a community of Christ followers called to know, love, and serve God and others. We've been talking about our core values, each one of those related to the different aspect, knowing God, loving God, and now serving God. So those are printed there on the back of your worship guide. We are served by God, therefore we seek the restoration of all things. We believe that that must begin with our personal relationships with God, that we must be restored to right relationship with him, and then we seek reconciliation and restoration in our relationships with other people. That's why we're not, we're not going through this, but chapter 3, verse 18 through 4, 1, that's why that is so important. It's just, it's another, it's a smaller version of what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, the, some call it the the household code or the family code, the Christian household code. Um, And it's talking about marriage relationship, talking about parenting, parent and child relationships, talking about master and servant relationships. So those human relationships are, are very important as we seek restoration in the world. And then the second one is we proclaim the gospel in word and deed. If you look back to Chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do, whether we're proclaiming things, proclaiming the gospel in word or in deed, we should do all these things, giving thanks to God, praising him. And that's what we see here in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul is going to be talking about the whatever you do and how you live out the Christian life. We're going to see these different aspects of, of word and deed as he talks about praying, as he talks about speaking, as he talks about walking and following the Lord. He begins in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. We've seen this before This word, continue steadfastly. It's the same word in Acts chapter 2 where Paul says, they devoted themselves. Okay, this continuing steadfastly and being devoted, it's the same word. Continue steadfastly, be devoted to prayer. Acts 2, 42, 
They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So he's encouraging the Colossians here. Continue steadfastly. Be devoted to prayer. Being watchful. Matthew Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is giving parables about his return. Talking about things at the end of the age. And he says, you do not know the day or the hour that the Son of Man is coming. And he says, stay awake. It's the same word for watchful. Be alert. Stay awake. Matthew 25, the parable of, the, of the, vir- the ten virgins with their lamps, the five who bring the oil and the five who don't. At the end of that, he says, watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. Be alert. Be prepared. Continue steadfastly and be watchful. As Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, he comes to his disciples and he finds them sleeping He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need God. We need his spirit because our flesh is weak. To continue steadfastly, to be devoted, to be watchful, we need to be led by his spirit. And I think we need this reminder often, don't we? Um, If you're like me, prayer is is hard. It's a struggle. It's a hard thing to be devoted to, right? It's easy to say, okay, I'm going to have this new January 1st. Here we go. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to pray for all these different things. And then, what, January 28th? Like, I got to do this a whole other month? Like, the rest of the year? Come on. It's hard. It's something that we struggle with. But I think sometimes it's something that we struggle with because we try to only do it in isolation. We should pray in the secret place, as we're told, as Jesus talks about. But Paul here is writing to the church. He's asking them to pray together, continue steadfastly, and be watchful together as a people. I think there, you know, we talk about strength in numbers, right? There's something about that. Obviously, we wouldn't use that cliche if it wasn't true. There is strength in numbers when it comes to prayer, when it comes to corporately seeking God together. Well, what is the focus here of Paul's prayer? He starts off in verse 3, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. What does this mean to open up a door for the word? I don't know exactly, uh, but I I can think of two examples that he may be speaking about. I think one could be just the door of of people's hearts that are closed, the people's hearts that are hard, that God would open up those people's hearts so that the word could go forth. Um, I think another Another possibility could be having to do with like regional areas that are, that are hardened to the gospel that seem closed off. Uh, I know I've talked to other people. I, I've been in a certain city in the world that several times I've been there, and every single time I go to that city, I literally feel darkness and oppression like come over me. There's a, there's a darkness because of, of the sin and the, the idolatry that is just so blatant in that city. I've talked with other people who have similar experiences with different parts of the world. 
So there may be something like that that Paul is talking about, that God would open up a door in these regions where the gospel has not yet penetrated. So he's, he's praying, he's asking for prayer to that end. Open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. It's this mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations and has now been made known to the Gentiles. It's the good news that, as Paul talked about in chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the good news. It's the mystery of the gospel. And he prays that they would be able to declare it. And then verse 4, that, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. To speak with clarity about this mystery. To, to make this mystery that was hidden, revealed, and known to people. And then in verse 5, he encouraged them, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The similar language was used in Ephesians 5. We looked at that, uh, the first half of Ephesians 5, talking about all those different ways that we're called to walk, to make the best use of the time. That's something that we're to, to pay attention to, to walk with the Lord, to be careful how we walk in this world. And then verse 6 is very much tied into that talking about our talk. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This idea of being gracious and being seasoned with salt, it's, again, we've talked about these things. We, we have the truth, right? We know what is true and we want to share that with people, but it doesn't mean we just go and just ram it down people's throats and that we'd be rude and we'd be jerks to people. We'd be gracious as we're sharing the gospel with people. We'd be gracious as we confront people in their sin and help them to see where they're at. This idea of being gracious and seasoned with salt is, is something that I think we can, I know myself, I can learn from that. And, it, and this, this, these things, this, this walk and this talk, they come out of this idea that we are servants. We are servants of the Lord. So we should be humble. We should be humble in the way we interact with people. And I think that some of this is, again, flowing out of that chapter 3, verse 18 to 4, 1 there in those different relationships. We are servants. Well, how are we doing at this in our own lives? How are we doing at trusting the Lord with these relationships? Are we prayerful? Are we watchful? Are we thankful? That's another thing that he, he said in, in verse 2 there, with thanksgiving. Just as we saw last week in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, the power to live the Christian life, the power to live this new life, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from us trying harder. It comes because what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 1, we have already been raised with Christ. So whether it's in marriage, whether it's in our parent-child relationships, whether it's in our work relationships, or just in our social relationships with our friends, we need to rely on the Lord together. As we seek to have an impact in this community, as we seek to to trust God, to, to plant more churches, and to see people come to know him, it must be bathed in prayer. And God must be the one who opens doors for us. We come now to the to the last section of this letter. And we read the heading here, Final Greetings. Um, 
if you're like me, it's, it's easy to get to this, and you're like, okay, I just read like, you know, three and a half chapters, and Paul's going to just talk about all these names and all these people, and whoa, I'm just going to like, just plow through it and not really pay attention to it. But I think if we do that, we miss the beautiful picture of Christian community in action. Let's see what Paul does here in this as he ends this letter, okay? He has, there's 12 names that are listed in this final greeting, including Paul himself. Why, why is this significant? Why all these names? Again, as we were talking about this in community group on Tuesday night, uh, some people mentioned that, you know, Paul is, Paul is showing that it's not just all about him. Uh, it's not, it's, he's not the only one who's, who's involved in this work. And that was, a, that was a great reminder, and I think we're going to see some of those things. As I was thinking about that, I thought about the Clapham sect, or the Clapham saints. Uh, you may have heard of this group before. They were 17 men and women in England who were vital to abolishing the slave trade. Uh, most of us probably know the name William Wilberforce. Probably heard that name before. Maybe you've seen uh, the movie Amazing Grace and um, have, have read books or stories about him. Well, William Wilberforce was the Paul of the abolishment of the slave trade in England. But he didn't do it alone. He didn't single-handedly end the slave trade in England. Names like Hannah Moore, Charles Simeon, Catherine Hankey, Henry Thornton, and Thomas Buxton. They were brewers, authors, pastors, members of parliament, evangelists, and bankers. One source, the most credible source of Wikipedia, claims they were powerfully bound together by their shared moral and spiritual values, by their religious mission and social activism, and don't miss this last part, and by their love for each other. William Wilberforce did not have the power. William Wilberforce did not have the authority. William Wilberforce did not by himself have the social clout to abolish the slave trade in England. Paul, Paul didn't even plant this church in Colossae. Paul single-handedly did not have the ability to go and plant churches all throughout the Mediterranean world. It was a group effort of people gathering together and praying and walking with God and seeking him together and trusting him. That's what Paul wants to emphasize here. He praises God for those who labored alongside him as fellow servants. And that's what we all are, right? This church wasn't planted in the first place. This church isn't going to continue to exist just because James and I are really busy doing the work of the ministry and keeping everything going. It takes multiple people. It takes all of us using our gifts, knowing God, loving God, serving God and others together in community. That's the kind of church that we desire to be. That's why we've been harping on these things for the last four weeks. And we're going to continue to. Because that's what we believe God has called us to do in this city. So we believe he's called us to be. He starts here, introduces us to our first character. Don't worry, we're not going to look at all 12 of them. He introduces us to Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. 
He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I love this description that Paul uses because when Paul says Tychicus is a fellow servant, he's including himself in that description as a servant. Paul's saying, I am a servant of Christ. If you look at the beginning of each one of Paul's letters, he opens them with different kinds of greetings. Romans and Philippians, he opens with Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Titus, he opens Paul, a servant of God. That's speaking to the other letters are usually Paul and Apostle. But Paul, so Paul has that authority, right, as an apostle. Sometimes he's going to, sometimes he needs to come into town and say, all right, listen up, I'm the apostle, you better listen to me. But other times he's coming in and saying, Paul, a servant, I'm gentle, I'm humble with you. So this idea of, of Paul being a servant, it's, it's speaking to his identity and who he was. So Paul sent Tychicus, this fellow servant, to encourage their hearts. We all need that encouragement at times, don't we? We need to be mutually encouraged by one another. That's why we have community groups that meet every other week. So we can spend time with each other and encourage each other just outside of Sunday evening. We have men's and women's time so we can be together. So we can share things that are going on in our lives. Difficult things so we can pray with each other. And we encourage each other all the time. I encourage you guys, spend time with each other. Go have meals, go have lunch together. Go have meals in each other's homes together. Take your kids to the park, whatever it is. Spend time together in community. We need that. Verses 9 to 11, he introduces some different people. And then, then we come to my favorite, uh, my favorite character here in this, in this section. It's Epaphras. I remember as a new Christian reading through Colossians and you know, I don't think really anything else probably stuck out to me, but I remember Epaphras, the first time I read Epaphras, the, the NIV says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. And I was a wrestler in high school, and just that image of, of this guy who's wrestling, he's wrestling in prayer, and like that intensity, and, and man, I wish I had that. Like, I wish I, would, I wish I would wrestle before God in prayer for people. You know, we were talking at our community group, like, When's the last time you, you wrestled in prayer? And we, James mentioned our brother Bruce Marker, who, by the way, praise God. He's been, uh, I went to see him earlier this week. He's, he's doing much better. He's at home. But there were so many people interceding for him and wrestling in prayer for him and trusting God for him to come back home. And just what a great picture. And, you know, when we were talking, it's like we do that in that type of situation, right? When it's so dire and it's like the end of our rope, what are we going to do? But do we wrestle in prayer just daily for other things? And I think if I'm honest with myself, I don't. <laughs> I wish I would, but I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm challenged by Epaphras, right? Uh, the ESV says, Epaphras, one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, right? Talked about Paul in chapter one, struggling with all Christ's energy that he works in him. So this idea, hey, we do need to struggle, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't come from us. So we need to struggle. We need to wrestle in prayer. And it's not just the wrestling and the struggling. I love what he's wrestling and struggling for. 
He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Maturity in the faith. That's what Paul talked about in chapter 1, verse 28. He said, Him, Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was Paul's goal, that people would be presented mature in Christ. And Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for that maturity to happen. To be fully assured in all the will of God. Well, how can we know the will of God? Again, another language thing here that if you were here last week, I I shared those diagrams with the, the perfect tense. It's the dot with the arrow going out into the future. Well, this idea here of fully assured, it is a perfect passive participle, okay? So meaning passive, we get the assurance from somewhere else. The assurance doesn't come. It's not active. It's not we're, we're assured because we did something. We're passive. We, we get that assurance. And again, it's that perfect. So it means something happened in time that's already set, that has already happened, meaning Christ died for you. And you're, you're born again, you've been raised spiritually, that has happened. And that assurance, because of what has already happened, that assurance is going to continue for the rest of your life until you're in glory. So if you're struggling with, well, how can I know the will of God? Epaphras is praying that we can be fully assured of the will of God. And that isn't something that comes from our own striving. Well, i got to just get this assurance. No, it comes from resting in what God has already done for you and what he will continue to do. So, encouragement. Pray like Epaphras. (laughs) Wrestle in prayer. Wrestle for others. Wrestle for yourself. Um, Skip down to verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Uh, we're not told anything about Nympha. We were kind of brainstorming in a community group. Like, what was, you know, what was Nympha all about? What was she doing? And we decided it was probably hospitality, right? Uh, she had a church in her house, means, meaning there was probably a bunch of people who came on the Lord's Day to worship and probably other days of the week and, and meals were being prepared and people weren't picking up their messes and people, you know, like all these different things, right? And she's got she's to do all the laundry and she's got to cook and she's got to be hospitable and, and use those gifts that God has given her. But just, I love that Paul, you know, he doesn't explain anything, but just Nympha and the church in her house. Like she was, she was one of the servants, Right? She was one of the people who was a part of all of this happening, all of these churches growing and people coming to know the Lord. He names her here, and um, you know, we can only speculate, um, but it's just great to see all of these different names and all of these different people who were involved. Paul then, verses 16 to 18, when this letter has been read among you, Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I love how he ends this. Remember my chains. Paul in Acts 28 was in Rome. It's the last account we have of of Paul's, Paul's last days. He's in Rome before the Jewish leaders. He's explaining the reason that he had been arrested and brought to Rome. And he says in Acts 28, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. The hope of Israel that Paul is speaking about is the hope of the world. The only hope for Jews and Gentiles alike. He is the son of man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think one of the most powerful descriptions of Jesus as a servant is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes how believers in Christ should be of the same mind, head, have the same love, their heart, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, significant than yourselves, and to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Serve with our hands. He then tells us that Jesus, though he was God himself, he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about that for a minute. The creator of the whole universe came to earth and took on flesh to become a servant. This isn't just because Jesus thought it would be some cool experiment to come and become a human and see what it was like. It's because there was a problem that we had that we couldn't deal with on our own. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. A death that you and I deserved to die. Death on a Roman cross, tortured as a criminal for a crime that he did not commit so that you and I could go free. The sinless lamb of God, as we talked about in the Passover story with the children, the sinless lamb of God became a sacrifice in our place. The son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. But it wasn't just in order to save us. It was to bring glory to his name. Paul in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, we are called to serve God and others, to live lives in community with each other, not in isolation. The only way that we can fulfill this calling is to follow Jesus together so that the world might see that he is the Savior and Lord who we proclaim. 
that every knee might bow and that every tongue might confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, as we conclude this, these four weeks of, of looking at who we are in you, who you've called us to be as a church, pray that this would not just be words on a piece of paper or, or words on our website. I pray that this would be our identity. This would be our calling to live out the reality of, of who we are in Christ, that the world around us may see, that the world around us may know, love, and serve you. God, we thank you for your rescuing and redeeming grace. We thank you for your love for us. May we never grow tired of hearing the gospel story, of hearing the good news of the mystery that was hidden for so long but has now been revealed. May we rejoice in what you've done for us. May we praise you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can stand as we continue our worship, singing song number 18, By Faith. And kids, you can come on up. By faith we see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithful Walk by faith and not by sight. By faith our fathers roamed the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts. Of a holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls with reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith the prophets saw the day. When the longed-for Messiah would appear With the power to break the chains of sin and death And rise triumphant from the grave By faith the church was called to go In the power of the Spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. 
Shines on him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by By faith the mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible For all who call upon His name We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him, our souls reward Till the race is finished and the work is done by faith and not by sight. We will stand as children of promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and Receive the benediction. It's a call and response on the back of your worship guide. Now go forth, encouraged by the examples of those who have gone before us, who took up their cross and followed Jesus in ages past. Together. Amen. (laughs) Go in peace.